because the glory may not be in that section next week. Praise God. Oh, just one more time. Would you just worship him? It feels so good in here. I love you, Jesus. I adore you, Lord. You're so good, so kind. Praise God. Praise God. Amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I echo the words of my wife. It's so good to be in person today. We've still got many people out, some with sickness, some out of town. And uh, we've got the lost sheep intensive going on in Finlayson. And God has been moving up there. We were there Wednesday afternoon, and the power of God fell so strong. It was incredible. And uh, so we're looking forward to what God has here today. And uh, it's not the same when we're not in person. My wife was crabby last week. <laughs> I'm just teasing. We all were a little on edge. And uh, I know it's because we weren't able to be with all of you and in the presence of the Lord together. And I just got to tell you, I hate preaching from my desk. And uh, so it's so good to see you all in the house of the Lord. And I am looking forward to things getting back into action. Grace College, she didn't mention that. She didn't like us people. But that's happening Thursday too. I'm just teasing. John chapter 1. Verse number 14, and uh, before we read that, for those that are unaware, we have joined Pastor Kevin Wallace in the Redeeming Redemption to the Nation's Church in Tennessee on 100 Days for Glory, and uh, if you haven't done everything that you're supposed to do every day, don't worry about it, just start today, and... Uh, catch up to the 15 minutes of reading, 15 minutes of prayer, fasting something to the Lord, and doing something kind for somebody. And the purpose of, at least that the reason why I believe that God has called us as a church to do this is because I believe that God sees our heart that says, I want more of him. I want to see him. I want to experience him. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I have given up, if you will, the urgency of heaven for the urgency of relationship. I'm not as concerned about my destination as I am about my destiny. Heaven is a destination. Heaven's only going to be heaven because our destiny's there. Jesus. It's the only reason. I think I mentioned it in one of the lessons that I did online in the last two weeks. Heaven's going to be cool. I don't know what golden streets are like. I live in Coon Rapids. And the Coon Rapids Boulevard section by my house Needs a little gold. I don't know what it's like to put my skates on and skate across crystal. But it's going to be cool. But heaven's only going to be cool because Jesus is there. And I'm thankful that not only is he going to meet us there, but he's meeting us here. And we are in his presence, for he promised where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And so Jesus is right here, right now. We just need to open up our spiritual eyes to perceive him and to grab a hold of him and to embrace him because he's trying to reveal his glory to us. 
I want the glory of Almighty God more than I've ever wanted it before. I want to see it in you. I want to see it among us. I want to experience it. I want to handle it. I want to to be a part of it. I want it to be so thick that I can't help but recognizing that I have stepped into a holy place, a holy ground, if you will, where the presence of God is. And if you haven't, weren't here a couple of weeks ago when I described what glory is, the glory of God is simply the majesty and weightiness of his presence. In other words, his glory is like a weighted blanket. His glory, when it settles on us, you will feel the intensity and the heaviness of his presence. Now, I have been in services from time to time throughout my life where it's just gotten so thick that you just didn't want to move. You just kind of soaked it in. And can I tell you that I believe that God in this day and in 2022 and in the first 100 days is the season that God is challenging us to get to a place where you and I are ready to receive his glory on a consistent basis, on a daily basis, not here once and then wait six months, not seven months, not every single day, wherever you go, you feel the weight of his presence. He promised us that he would never leave us nor forsake us, so he's always been there, but we have not been attuned to what he's doing, and so we haven't sensed his glory. Oh, and you're going to hear some messages in the next few weeks that lead to this. God has been moving, and uh, I'm getting ready to share with your leaders in two weeks on a Thursday night leadership training night. I'm going to be sharing with them what God is speaking into us, and it's mind-blowing how it all weaves together and what God is doing. So I'm just going to give you a nugget of that today. John chapter 1, verse 14, I quote this scripture all the time. In verse 1, it recognizes that the Word is God. In verse 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word begotten there is better translated the unique one. The unique one. We beheld the glory of the unique one. The one that's different from everybody else. The one that's not just like us, but close. The one that's just a little bit different than us. The man, Christ Jesus. God manifest in the flesh. And we beheld his glory. Can I tell you that that word beheld doesn't mean I saw him? It doesn't simply mean that we register with our eyes a certain being or a certain thing. That's not what the word behold means. The word behold means this, I see it and I absorb it. I see it and I wrap my mind around it. I see it and I wrap my spirit around it. I see it and wrap my understanding about it. It becomes a part of me. It becomes something that I breathe in and breathe out. It's not just a bunch of head knowledge that gets poured out and we see it. I see a lot of things that I have not absorbed. I've seen a lot of things that I don't know. I can tell you what it is. I I can look at a calculus book and tell you it's numbers and letters, but I have no clue what I'm talking about. I I don't understand. I haven't beheld it. I saw it. I actually sat through a class once 30-some-odd years ago, but I know nothing about it. The difference between be seeing and beholding. But John says, we beheld his glory. What's the glory? It's the divine presence. It's the weightiness. It's the majesty. When they saw Jesus, they were seeing the majesty of heaven. 
They were seeing the weight of his presence. They were absorbing what he was saying and what he was doing and who he was. And because of that, we see a few years later that when the when the the rubber met the road and they had to do what God was calling them to do, everywhere they went, they paid the ultimate sacrifice. Now, I'm, I'm just telling you, you're not going to see me sacrifice tri- for trigonometry or calculus because I don't get it. And some of you here understand it, and some of you get it, and you're weird. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I wish I had a brain sometimes that did that, but I don't. But, but what, are you, what you behold is the thing that you absorb, and it becomes a part of you. But what you see, it's just a mental recognition that that's what you're seeing. And we beheld his glory. And so I believe that the Lord is wanting to give us a tool to behold his glory, uh, to see. Now, this isn't something that's going to happen overnight. He'll give us a glimpse from time to time of his glory, Paul had an instant on the road of Damascus when the bright light shone from heaven in Acts chapter 5 and it knocked him to the ground and took his eyesight. And he said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. He he had gone around persecuting and from that moment on it was a quick change in Paul. He recognized in that moment of time, "Mm, I think I messed up. I think I better turn myself over to him and become a follower of him and because of him and that experience. But that doesn't happen for everybody. How many have seen the, the, the film The Chosen? Yeah, good. It's a really good, it's, it's, they blend some stories together, but all Hollywood does. And, uh, but what's neat about that movie is Simon Peter in that movie, he doesn't, convert quickly. He's a little stubborn, a little hard-headed. And, uh, but when he finally beholds the glory, it changes him. Now he's the first one in action. He's the first one to stick his foot in his mouth on behalf of God. He's the first one to step out and, and, and be bold for, for the things of the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a difference before, between seeing and and beholding. So I began to ask the Lord this week, what does that mean? How can we effectively happen to have that in our church? Because I believe that you want to see him, and I want to see him. And I'm not talking about when the trumpet sounds. I'm talking about on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, when I want to see him and experience him. And the Lord took me to this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 13. Starting at verse number 3, and I'm just going to read, and then we're going to go back and explain some things. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, Randy said he was an elder. He's embraced his age, I guess. I haven't done that yet. And when he sowed, Some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground, brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And Jesus goes on to explain this, so I'm not really digging too deep. Jesus explains it on his own. And and so if you go down to verse number 18, he's explaining this parable to his disciples. And he says it this way. Hear you therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not. I want you to remember that word, understandeth. We're going to look back at that word here in a minute. When you understand it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into thorny places, the same is he that heareth the word 
and run with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but it dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and, the, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Pretty cool parable, isn't it? And that's exactly where you and I are at. You and I are the ones that God is sowing into. And and here's the thing. The sower in this parable is not the Lord. The sower is the preacher that declares the word, that casts the word, if you will, that presents the word. The reason why I know that is because the word in this passage is the word logos. The same word for word in John chapter 1 where the logos became flesh. And so what we are doing when we declare to one another, I'm not just talking necessarily about the preaching, but when the believer begins to talk about the word, talk about God, they are casting seed they are throwing out the things that, that uh, of the Lord that you would receive so that he would be planted in you, so that he would grow up in you. And so something is happening here. First of all, I want, to, want you to notice that in the passage of all four grounds, if you will, types of ground, There's two things that never change in this parable. The sower and the seed never changes. Now, all of you are looking at me with blank faces. Well, that sounds good, Pastor. Um, The sower is a believer that shares God. So the individual person might change, but the principle of the sower does not. The sower spreads the word of God. You overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Every time you open your mouth to spread seed, you are sending the word of God into somebody's soil. And the seed does not change. The seed is Jesus, the Logos, God manifest in flesh. The Word become flesh and dwelling among us. That which was and is and is to come, the Almighty, the seed does not change. The Hebrews said Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. So if the sower and the seed never changes, why isn't there a great glory of revival amongst the people of the world? Because the soil changes. And and I want you to, to notice this. Now, I have heard this preached so many different ways and so many different times. And some of what I'm going to say, uh, you, you may have heard before, but I'm hoping that you hear it from a different perspective. Because every time that I have ever heard this passage preached, a lot of times I have heard it preached in judgment. Well, you ain't good soil. You better get your act together in order to be good soil. Okay, that, that's the, the motivation behind the messages that I have heard through the years about this. But can I just tell you that some of the three negative grounds aren't really our fault per se? It's just that we haven't recognized it yet. So for instance, look at the first type of soil, the soil of the wayside. The word wayside is an interesting word. It's a traveling path. It's where people always walk. It's, and you have to understand that in the biblical days, the wayside was not concrete. 
It was not asphalt. It was grass and dirt. And so what ends up happening is there are people in our lives that have been traveled upon. Their ground has been become hardened because of the things of their life that have pushed down on them, that have made them to struggle. The circumstance, Randy said it perfectly today. We talk about the woman with the husbands in John 4, but John 4 never reveals how she got to have five husbands and the six that she was with wasn't her husband. We don't understand what life brought her away. How many here have been stepped on from time to time? How many people in your life it's been walked on, it's been traveled? Friends have walked all over you. Family members have walked all over you. Life has walked all over you. And finally you get to a place where you have put such a a facade up. You have become a hardened ground because you don't want to let anything in. Not because you're angry, not be, but you're scared of what's coming. Because you've been walked on for so long. And so what happens is you get into an atmosphere like this and you start feeling the drizzle of the Holy Ghost the living water that Randy talked about, the rains that Elijah said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand, and he understood. He said, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. But because you've been walked on so long, because you've been uh, you, you've been abused, if you will, some mentally, some physically, some emotionally. You've been rejected and neglected, and you've tried to make it on your own. And the only way you know how to make it from day to day is if you let your exterior become hardened by all of that which has been walked on. And so when the believer comes by and sows the seed of the word, you like to think it's good. And you might even like a little bit of the rain that comes down. But because you have put up such a defense mechanism, I'm not going to step into that because I'm not sure about it. It's going to step on me again. It's going to crush me again. It's going to be just one more thing in a laundry list of things that have happened in my life to where I don't want to expose myself to that. I don't want to experience that again. I'm tired of being walked on. And the Bible says then the wicked one comes by and picks that up and takes it away. And then all of a sudden what ends up happening is you walk out of a certain situation where the presence of God is. And because of the hardness of your ground and because the enemy has come and taken the seed that's already landed, you walk out and you say, well, that really just didn't do it for me. Let me go try the next thing. I'm here to tell somebody, I understand that you have been traveled on. I understand that there is a hardness that you have to survive with, that you have had to survive with. There is a, there is a cocoon, if you will. But if you would just allow the reins of the Holy Ghost to settle in just enough to soften it up, I promise you that the seed will get into some good ground. And when the seed gets into the good ground, God begins to bless. Which brings us to the stony ground. The stony ground is where most of us dwell. Because most of us are stubborn people. I was almost going to use the biblical term, but I didn't. Stiff-necked. And the thing is, is we don't realize why we're stubborn. How many have ever had a rock bed in your yard? There's a few of you. If you haven't, don't get one. I hate them. I despise them. I make my boys work in it now. And here's the reason why I don't like rock beds. Because no matter what happens, you're never going to get all the rock out. And so when you go to plant something, you move a little bit of rock out and you create a little round spot where you're going to put the plant. 
and, and by that time I'm already as grouchy as can be. And I stick my shovel into the dirt thinking, okay, I've already removed all the rock on the top. I should just be able to get some dirt out and put the, put the plant in. Not really. Because all the rock have settled through the soil and now I've got two feet of pebbles that i got to get through to plant the stupid rose bush. I'm not bitter at all, by the way. And that is the picture that I get when I read about the stony ground. Can I tell you what stony ground people are like? It's this. See, see, there again, I've always heard it preached judgmentally. It's not a judgment. It's just reality. You've had stone upon stone placed on your life. And over time, for whatever reason, and I don't understand it all because I'm not into botany and all that kind of stuff, but dirt sucks rocks down. And it pulls it down. And it brings it under the surface of the soil. And you get that first shovel full off the top, and it's nice, and it's rich. But then you put the shovel back in, and over the, our house is 85 is when it was, when it was built. And so over the last whatever amount of years that is, you get below that little bit of good soil, and you hit all the rock that the original owner put down that the ground has sucked under. And now when I'm trying to plant something, I'm hitting rocks from years ago. I'm hitting the stones that the ground has absorbed and brought down just under the surface. So at the top of the surface, I think I get all excited because it's going to be an easy plant. I'm not going to get frustrated. I'm not going to get grouchy. I'm not going to get crabby. But then that next shovel full. And I'm wanting to get rid of the previous owner and say, what in the world were you thinking? I got a little Frank Sanders in me too. And because I'm Frank's son, part of my problem is I'm probably not using the right tool. Hammers don't dig very well. But that's another message. You can just think about that this week. Are you using the right tool? But, but, but those rocks are there. And as I was studying this week over this passage, I realized that over the years I have been critical of those that would absorb what God did and a week later it was burned up and they were, they were ready to give up. And why, Can I just tell you something? For, for, for me, having experienced all that I've experienced, I don't understand how somebody can walk into this house, experience the presence of God, and two weeks later be ready to give it all up. I, I don't get that. I don't understand that until I recognize this passage. I don't know what rocks have been in their lives and have been absorbed by the soil of their spirit. And I don't know, and the person that owns the rocks don't know. I hope I'm helping somebody. Can I just tell you, I don't know the name of the original owner of, uh, of 3757 114th Lane Northwest in Coon Rapids, Minnesota. But he doesn't know my struggles with the rocks he left. Did he mean to put some rock in my life so that it would frustrate the fire out of me when I went to plant? No. He was just trying to make his home look right. There are some of you that have leftover rocks from somebody's life who did not meaningly leave you rocks but they were trying to make their life worth it. They were trying to make their landscape work, but because of the rocks of their life that they put down, they didn't even realize that the soil had absorbed it, and now you're dealing with rocks of your past because the rocks of your past have been absorbed into the soil, and it's not your rocks, but it's rocks that are there that you now have to deal with. Can I just tell you I'm done criticizing people? 
I, I come from a background where I just never understood. I could not comprehend how somebody could end up one way because it didn't register with me. But can I tell you, after studying the Word, God understands why you are the way you are. He understands what you've experienced and what you haven't experienced. He understands whether you had a good mom, a good dad, a good aunt, and good uncle, good structure. He understands who put stones into your life. He understands who dried you out and trampled all over you. He understands all that, and yet he is still trying to plant seed. And so somebody comes to the church, and you get into atmosphere like this, and you say, oh, God, I want that. It feels so good. I embrace it, God. I experience it. The seed is planted. Then you get out and the sun scorches it. And can I just read this real close so that you understand this? But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word and an none with joy receives it. I want it, God. I want it, God. I'm planting it. It's there. Yet he doesn't have root in himself, and so he endures for a little bit. But then tribulation or persecution arises, and we like to stop there. But the scripture says, because of the word. Because of the word. Well, God, I like that, but I like my friends to like me too. And they don't like me so much anymore. I, I, God, I like what you're doing. I like the seed that was planting. I like what I feel. But God, I, I, I can't move that rock because I like my family to like me for who I am. And now they're going to ridicule me because I'm a Jesus freak. Now they're going to turn their back on me because I'm not who I once was. Can I just tell you that one of the hardest things of conversion to Christ is that the things that were in your life which you do not realize were the stone setters, that you do not realize were the things that were putting it just under the surface and you weren't recognizing it has to be moved in order for the roots to take place? Does that mean we get rude and say, well, you're no good, I can't be around you? That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is this, you need to stand up for who you are in Christ. You need to look at that loved one, that friend, and say, listen, I can't do what you're wanting to do anymore because I'm a different creature. And I don't cast judgment on you. I was in your shoes. But I came into contact with somebody that sowed a seed into my spirit. And that seed has gotten into some dirt. And I'm trying to get rid of all the rocks that will hinder the root from taking hold. I'm trying to get rid of all of the things that have caused me from, from allowing the heat of the, the, of the atmosphere to scorch me and to take away the seed that God has planted in me. That's tough. It's hard. And can I just tell you, there's some things that we don't even recognize. We don't even recognize is there. It's been so buried. It attitudes, expectations. How many have ever heard this? If you just have enough faith, God will do it. Has anybody said that? You ever heard that? Come on, somebody be honest. Nobody's raising their hand. Okay, there's some nods or some hands. Yeah, if you just have enough faith. And they'll take you to one or two scriptures that seemingly say that. But if you look deep, that's not really saying that. And so what ends up happening is somewhere in your past, somebody said, if you just had enough faith, God's going to give it to you. And God hasn't given it to you yet. That becomes a stone underneath the soil, and it removes the depth that the root can take place. But if you take that stone of false expectation and align it with the principles of the Word of God, 
if you ask according to his will, it will be accomplished. If you say, Lord, not my will, but thy will, it will be accomplished. Lord, if my heart's in tune with your heart and I'm doing what you want me to do, then if I ask you, you'll supply the need. That changes from ask whatever you want by faith and you're going to get it. Faith isn't a candy stick to get God to do what you want to do. Faith is the entity or the evidence of what God has already done in your life. You just haven't experienced it yet. Let that set in for a minute. You see, the stony ground just needs to be cleared out. Can I tell you the best way to plant a, a, a bush when there's stony ground? Get all the rock out. Take the time to do it. And then put good dirt back in and see what happens. Because here's what happens. If you get enough good dirt, you don't have to get all the rocks out. If you get all the rocks out, you might end up in China. But you got to get out just enough so that there's enough good dirt around the roots. Because I want you to notice something. What happens when there's enough good dirt for the roots to set? The roots do what? They grow, and then what do they do? They wrap themselves around the stones, and they make it twice as hard to pluck up. Listen, if you've got enough good ground on top of all your rocks, by the time you get that planted, and if there's enough room for you to grow, all of a sudden those rocks that were placed in your life before that were a hindrance now become the thing that your anointing wraps around and strengthens you and makes you stronger and makes you more durable and makes it so that you can a a function and grow even bigger. The third kind of ground is the ground among thorns. When he hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Uh, I just want to say this. I, I don't speak on stewardship very often. It's actually been almost three years since I've done a message on stewardship. Uh, I'm getting ready to here in a couple of weeks probably if the Lord should direct what he's already kind of put into my heart. But here's what I need you to understand about this. The cares of this world and the deceitful riches. Can I tell you what a deceitful rich could be? A job. A career. Because a career sometimes will say, well, if I just make a little bit more, if I just get this promotion, if I just get this little bit extra in my paycheck, if I just get this little perk, if I just get this next thing, and what it does is it deceives you. Do you understand? I I, kind of laugh at the Minneapolis Tribune. They put in the business section every day on the inside cover of the front page the CEOs, whatever they make. And, And they make, you know, a ton of money in whatever, whether it be straight money or whether it be shares and stocks, whatever it is, they make a lot of money. But did you know that the number one rate for depression in all of America is in the level of the CEO? It's in the level of the athlete. Athletes that make a lot of money and then they retire with, and and they've leaned on the whole purpose of their career was to make money. They're the ones that go broke and are miserable shortly after they get out of their sport. There was a football player when we lived in Kansas City, Hall of Fame football player. I think he's passed on now, but I remember reading the stories, made a ton of money, and because he was so miserable after the, the, the career was done, he blew all of his money and became miserable. Can I just tell you, in my own family, I've shared it before, but part of the reason why my dad quit professional hockey is because he was miserable. Because he wasn't, there was a deceitfulness of riches. When he signed his contract, and this was in 1972, he was signing over a million dollars worth of money over the course of a contract. 
You do the math of inflation between 72 and now and what that contract was worth. But after he signed it and after he got into it, he realized he was miserable because it's the ground where the thorns and the riches and the cares of this world creep up. I want to challenge you, and I'm going to try to say this very calmly, because this has more to do with logic than it does inspiration. Why do you worry about the cares of this world? Don't get me wrong. We have to pay our bills and we have to do what we're supposed to do. But why do we let the cares of this world overcome what God is trying to do? I'll tell you why. It's because we shut this off and turn this on. The problem with doing that is this, the Bible says, is deceitfully wicked above all things. No man can know it. This can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here, here's the reason why I ask that. What does the scripture mean when it says, I've never seen the righteous begging for bread? <laughs> you see, we like, as preachers, we like to, and believers, to spiritualize that. Well, when you seek for him, you'll find him because whenever you seek for him, there's always bread there. That's not what the scripture says. What do you, what, what, why do you get worried when the Bible says, take no thought for tomorrow what you're going to eat or drink or wear for God's art? You've got enough troubles for today. Okay, that doesn't register here, and we struggle to make it register there. Because it's not the license just to cast off all responsibility. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is why does it consume some of us? Why does it consume some of us to get the next toy or the next hobby or the next set of golf clubs or the next whatever it is? Why do we, why do we think about it? Because it's nice. It's cool. I agree. Does God want us to have just nothing? No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is why do we get so consumed with those kinds of things? The reason we get consumed with them is because we've allowed the thorns of our soil to come up over us and those cares of the world choke out what God has actually said. God said this, if I can number the hair on your head and I can care for the sparrow and I can care for the lily of the field, I think I can take care of you. Oh, it's quiet in here now. It's quite, but see, we sit in church over and over and over, and I would even suggest today that maybe there's one or two here today that have already tried to figure out your grocery list in your head because you got to get food on the table. Some of you have been thinking about how you can maneuver your paycheck to make your next bill. Can I just tell you, if you're partnered with God, you can ask Him about it. That's a month away yet. God is trying to say to somebody, don't let that which has beat you down harden you. Don't let that which has taken up root down and sunk in and blocked off the roots of of himself in your life from not allowing you to grow in him. Don't let the cares of the world and the deceitful riches of the world choke out that which God is trying to do in you. Because here's the thing. I I know it sounds like I'm talking about money, but I'm talking about everything. The Bible says he loves a cheerful giver. Okay, that word cheerful means hilarious. Okay, that means it goes above and beyond a norm. So it, it can apply to money, but that's not my intention today. My intention is everything about us. Why do we get so conservative? Why don't we hilariously give? Why don't we hilariously worship? Why do we get so dogmatic about having three choruses? Why, why do we get so 
on edge because it's not flowing like we thought it was going to flow. Because we've allowed the cares of the world. I, I, I know, and some of you may not agree, but the smartest thing that we ever did as a church is got rid of the side windows in the sanctuary. Because when I used to preach out there, all I'd ever see was this. As every car passed by and reflected in, I'd be sitting up there and every head in there would go. All day long. And then you want to know what else I noticed? Because the outside atmosphere was triggering that it was lunchtime. Can we get to a place where we just say, Jesus, I've been traveled on, but I need you. I've got a lot of stones that have settled into my life. Help me to move them because I need you. God, there's a lot of cares and there's a lot of things going on and we're busy and there's all kinds of things that we need to do and we've got lunch and we've got this and we've got this and work tomorrow and this this week and the schedule is hectic and the things. But God, don't let it choke out that which you're trying to plant into us. Help us, God, to be the fourth ground. The fourth ground is the ground, the Bible says this way, it's, it, it's the good ground that hears the Logos and understands it, which also beareth fruit, beareth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Listen, I want you to notice this scripture, that it is the hearing of the word or, or the expression of God and then understanding it. That word understand is not the word where you can figure out what 2 plus 2 is. I can understand what 2 plus 2 is. It equals 4. I get that. I understand that. But that's not what this word understand means. This word understands goes hand in hand with the word behold. And the word understand means is when you experience God, you embrace it. You understand it. Your mind grabs a hold of what it means and who he is. Let me put it to you this way. Jesus prayed this in John 17, 3. This is life eternal that they might know thee, that you might have a relationship, that you might understand that it will become an intimate experience. When you do that, you are cultivating good ground because every time you get a word from God and you begin to embrace it and you begin to let it work in you, it, to- it turns over the topsoil, it reaches down and removes the rocks, it takes care and puts some new mulch in so the weeds don't come up and you begin to bear fruit. And here's the thing. When you bear fruit, you are creating a life-giving mechanism where you will never run dry because every time you bear fruit, you can then partake of that fruit. Every time God does something in you, you can grab a hold of it and say, listen, I'm experiencing this sickness right now, but a year ago when I was in bed and unable to move, God reached down and touched me. I'm not worried today because God has a hold of me. You know, I wish I would have known this when I was a teenager. Man, I would have been much better off. Because when Mr. Misquick Mr. Misquick, he was the bowling ball of a man. He stood about five eight and he looked like about three people but he was the best math teacher I ever had. And we would get into math class, and he would get out his stuff, and he'd start explaining it, and all of us would just kind of look at him, blank stares on our face. And we were all blank stares in the class because the ones that actually understood it were in a better class than we were. And, uh, and so 
I wish I would have been able one day just to almost a little bit sassy-like raise my hand and say, Mr. Misquick, I don't get your math. And he would say, well, let's work through it. I said, I don't need to work through it. I don't use your math. I use God's math. Because do you notice how God does math? He doesn't do it like we do it. He gave some 30, some 60, and some 100. Now, I don't know about you. I was taught in math that the right answer would have been 30, 60, 90, right? But that's not how God does it because God always multiplies. I find it interesting that the normal human understanding would be 30, 60, 90, but what does God elevate it by? What? 10. 10. 10. Tenth. Tithe. Possession. Resource. People. Talents. Abilities. He always will elevate good ground by 10%. You have to understand the principle here. What he's saying is if you allow yourself to get good ground, he will partner with you and you will bear fruit. But the fruit that you're bear could be 30, 60, or even I'll add a little bit more than what would be normal upon you so that you can be blessed beyond measure. Some he gave 30, some he gave 60, some he gave 100. All I know is this, when you're on good ground, you'll always be given something. And when you partner with him, if you combine this parable with some other parables, he will always increase as long as you use what he gave you. Here's what I'm trying to say to Spirit of Grace Church. The day has come where God is wanting us to behold his glory, not in simple form, not in tentative form, not in irregular form, but to behold his glory on a consistent basis. And to have a consistent basis revelation of his glory requires us to have good ground cultivated. drive by any farm in the spring that ground is hurt it's weighed down by the ice and the snow of the winter and what's the first thing a farmer gets out and does runs his tractor over it to break it all up and if you've ever looked they've got that machine that on the very back has little thin wires almost, they're hard as all get out, but they they go down about this far. Why do they go down about that far? To get the rocks. And, And then did you ever notice how farmers plant their crop it's so cool. I, I, I drove through Rose Mountain, South Minnesota all the time, and you would drive and you could just see the whole, each line was almost, I was like, hmm, that's kind of level. That, that every row was kind of just perfect. Why? So the thorns don't get it. So the thorns don't get it. Jesus is the head of the church, and if we are in line with him where he plants us and we do what he's called us to do, it removes the concept of the thorns. So the farmer breaks up that wayside ground, digs out the rocky ground, and then aligns us to the thornless ground so that we can so that we can experience his 